Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Let's pray. Lord, again, I ask you for just a fresh filling of your spirit, for an anointing to preach to this service. Lord, my desire is that uh, I would be sensitive to your spirit, that you as your, the good shepherd would feed your sheep. And so I pray that you would use this time to glorify your name. God, use it to challenge us to put our hope and trust in you, Lord, and to walk in a way that honors you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you might have not realized this, but we're concluding a mini-series. The mini-series is we're ending the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books in the Bible. Okay, and penta means five, and tukos means scrolls. And Deuteronomy is the fifth book, the final book that Moses wrote. Uh, Deuter, Deuter means second, and namos means law. So if we're to use a English, it'd be the second law. That's what Deuteronomy means. But it's a mistranslation of Deuteronomy seventeen eighteen, which says this is another reading of the law. Because what it really is, is it's not a second law adding to it. What Deuteronomy does is it takes all the laws that are recorded in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and brings them together under Deuteronomy. So that's what it means. It's just restating all that was in the previous three uh, books of the Pentateuch. And what a lot of people don't realize is this, is that Deuteronomy is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. Most quoted. It is quoted in 21 different New Testament books. It is quoted over 80 times in the New Testament. Deuteronomy, you know the book that we have a hard time reading through, is quoted a lot in the New Testament. It is one of Jesus' favorite, favorite books to quote from. And uh, as a matter of fact, Jesus in Deuteronomy is a picture of Moses is a picture of Christ doing his work. And also, he is the prophet that there's a prophecy in Deuteronomy that is talked about Jesus. Take a look. It's in Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So there's a prophecy about the coming of Christ. And so those are some of the pictures that we see of Christ in Deuteronomy. Now, this book is different in a lot of ways. One way is that uh, it, it, with regards to numbers, numbers from beginning to end was a picture of about a 40-year time span. When we get to Deuteronomy, it's just a few days from beginning to end. And the reason being is, is that Deuteronomy is three, basically three sermons that Moses was giving to the people of Israel shortly before his death and right before they went into the promised land. So it's basically three sermons. What we find is this, is that Moses was not going to cross into the promised land. Do you remember why? you remember what happened? 
If you remember, God was going to provide his people with water from the rock, and God said, speak to the rock, and Moses basically went over there and took glory from God. What do I have to do? Bring water from this rock, and he smacks the rock, and the water comes forth, and God said, okay, that's it. You're not going to see the promised land because he was trying to take God's glory. And so God is fulfilling what he said is that Moses would not see the promised land. He wouldn't go into it and, um, because of his sin. And as a matter of fact, Joshua was the one who was going to lead God's people into the promised land. Now, Ryan will be preaching next week on Joshua, but what's interesting is this. Jo- the Old Testament name for Joshua and the New Testament name for Jesus is the same, Yeshua. Isn't it interesting? Joshua led God's people into the physical promised land, and Jesus is the one who leads us into eternal promised land. Just a beautiful, just a beautiful picture of God's wisdom displayed in his written word, don't you think? How all these things are tied together throughout history. It's not random. Even people's names. So it's very interesting, very wonderful. What we have here is this, is that Israel is entering a new era. This is a transition period right here at the end of Deuteronomy, beginning of Joshua. Huge transition in the nation of Israel in the word of God. What was happening was this, is that Israel was entering a new era, okay? They were going to enter a new land, right? They were going to go there with a new leader. They had known Moses for the past 40-some years. It's all been about Moses, and now Moses is gone. It's uh, also a new way of living. They had been nomads for their whole life, and now they're going to get their own land. They're going to move from renters to homeowners, Right? No moving around anymore. And it is a new generation. It's a new generation because if you remember what God said when it came to uh, going into the promised land, because when God sent those spies into uh, the promised land, 10 of them came back and said, we can't beat these guys. And the people followed those, uh, the, what those 10 spies said rather than um, Caleb and Joshua said, let's go. God wants us to have the land. Let's go take it. He's the one that will win the victory. And the people decided to, to side with the 10 spies that said, don't go. And God said, all right, from now on, anybody that was 20 years old or older is not going to go into the promised land. So that whole generation passed away. We said this last week, about 1.2 million people, about I think it was 82 people per day, died in the desert and what happened was is that this is a transition now because that generation is gone and there's this whole new generation so Moses is speaking to this new generation and he's he's they need to be reminded of God's faithfulness in the past they needed to be reminded of God's faithfulness in the past they needed to be reminded of his holiness because that would affect how they would live day by day, and they needed to know the promises of the future that God had made for them. And so that's how Deuteronomy is broken down. Take a look. Here's the outline of Deuteronomy. Chapters 1 through 4, reviewing God's past faithfulness, specifically the last 40 years, how God delivered them from Egypt and, and how he was faithful to them, and he, their shoes never wore out. And their clothes stayed, all these promises, they always had food. There was manna every morning, and God provided for them. And so he's, he's, he's reviewing God's past faithfulness to this generation, this young generation that has now grown up. 
then in chapters 5 through 26, which makes up the bulk of Deuteronomy, how to live in the present in light of God's grace and holiness. Okay, because of what God has done for you, his grace, his kindness, his mercy, his goodness, and his holiness, this is how you live day by day. Remember we talked about that, how the law had that place in, uh, as these people were slaves and they didn't know how to make choices. Choices were always made for them. And suddenly they're free and God says, here's how you live. Here's how you honor me. You know, this is what it looks like because you haven't had these freedoms before. And so now Moses is saying, okay, now here we go. Here's a section of what it looks like to live day by day in a way that honors God. Chapters 27 through 30, we're looking ahead to God's future fulfillment of his promises. Here's what God said he would do. I think it's in chapter 28 where it's a prophecy. And if you read chapter 28, it's historically what happened to Israel. It's unbelievable. It's prophecy, chapter 28. So I would encourage you to go read that. And then finally, chapters 31 through 34 is the conclusion of Moses' ministry with chapter 34 being basically Moses' obituary. And so that's the picture that we have for Deuteronomy. Now, one of the things we see in this pattern is something we have seen through our our study in the Word of God. We saw it especially in Hebrews. Is this, is that we see that by remembering God's past faithfulness and then looking at his future promises. By remembering his past promises or his past faithfulness and remembering his future promises, what that does is that helps us live today with this joyful, persevering obedience. It empowers us and enables us to say, you know what, I can handle it. Look at how faithful God has been in the past to me. So whatever troubles we're facing today, and, and we're facing a lot, it seems, right now. Inflation is crazy. We look at it and what it costs to feed our families. We say, how are we going to make it? God's going to be faithful. He's going to provide. You know, we see the, what's happening in the world, and things seem to be breaking down. And we go, what, what's going to go on? Well, either God's seated, seated in the highest place or he's not. God is sovereign, and his ways aren't our ways, so we don't understand all the things that are happening. But we can put our hope because God made a promise. And he said, listen, here's what it is. When you uh, receive this gift of salvation by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, then you, your, your heaven is secure. Your eternity is secure in heaven. That's a promise he made for the future. So I know whatever happens in this world, whether as we sang in the song, everything gets stripped away and I have nothing, I still have Christ. And no one can take him from me. And I know that all the promises God has made for the future are true. That when I die, I will spend eternity in heaven with him. And there will be no sin. And there will be no pain, no suffering. And I will be a child of God. Spending eternity with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And all those things are true. And so today, I have to remember all God's faithfulness in the past, not only to me personally, not only to you personally, how God has taken care of you, but as we look throughout history and we see God's hand move, we say, look at what God's done, man. I mean, Deuteronomy chapter 28, he he says what's going to happen for hundreds of years in Israel. God's in charge. And so what happens is we, we, we see God's faithfulness and it causes us to say, I can trust God today, moment by moment. And that's the principle that we've seen in the New Testament, especially in Hebrews. Look back, look forward, and that helps you live today in obedience. That's the pattern. And Moses is displaying this pattern instead of in just a few verses like it is in Hebrews. He's taking 31 chapters and doing it. 
But it's all broken down in the same pattern. And that's this. I stand in awe of God's word. What we find is that the majority of Deuteronomy is this what it looks like to live in light of God's grace. What does it look like to live day by day in the fact that you are a born again Christian by God's grace, by God's mercy, and that your eternity is secure? How do you live day by day? And so Moses explains that in these chapters, in this center section. One of the things is this, is that there's a, one, I kept running across this that's kind of interesting in Deuteronomy, is that there's a lot of warnings against idolatry, especially in this book. A lot of warnings against idolatry. There's even a specific example, and I'll share that in a minute. But what happens is, is that I think sometimes we think, well, we don't have idols. I mean, I don't have anything in the corner of my living room that's a, you know, a, a little Buddha or something like that. I, we don't have any idols. Because we have this mentality that that's what idols are. They're just something you go and you burn incense around or you worship. But our idols can be much more than that. Our idols can be people, right? I'll say this, your spouse. You know, it, an idol is something that we put our hope in to find our joy and our satisfaction in this life. And that's where we find our strengths and all these other things. Now, our spouse is important and is a part of that. But if they become the all in all for us, they become our idol, then what happens is when they fail, we're crushed. People are people. We're sinners. They're going to fail. And, they, and God says, you know what? I am your God. Don't put a spouse. Don't put your children or your family as idols. I mean, you could, I've seen that. And what happens is your whole life is worked around it. I'll tell you what i got to be careful for an idol in my life. 1968 Le Mans convertible. Yeah, man. I do. Because what happens is, is that I can spend so much time and so much energy that I'll put the things of God on the side in order to make sure I get this done. And the things of God become secondary. And so I've got to be careful that I don't have that idol in my life. And so God is addressing idolatry here to his people. And it's especially uh, addressed in Deuteronomy because what happens is, is that uh, idolatry, really what it does is it, it's always coupled with forgetting God's past, present, and future blessings. We become discontent with what God is doing, and so we look for that satisfaction and that joy somewhere else. And when that collapses, then so many times we can collapse emotionally. But there's a special warning in Deuteronomy. It seems to be coming up all the time about idolatry and an example, a very unique example. Take a look. Again, Deuteronomy 4, 16 through 20. Beware lest you corruptly by beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Just don't be careful for idolatry. And then we see this incredible example of God approaching this whole issue of idolatry. And it's in the last chapter of Deuteronomy. It's 
Moses' obituary is basically what it is. Deuteronomy 34, 4 through 7. And the Lord said to him, Moses, This is the land which I swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him, God buried him, in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years when he died. His, eyes, his eye was undimmed and his vigor was unabated. Are you kidding me? 120 and you can still see like an eagle? And physically great? Man, sign me up for that thing, right? Well, good news is we're getting one of those and it's not down here. But man, 120? I would love that. No need glasses, vigor unabated. Wow, that would be great. But you see what God did here? All Israel knew for their leader was Moses, and he knew something that we as people naturally do. We naturally do a graceland. We find where someone's buried, and we make a shrine out of it, don't we? And that's what God was showing here. I think God was warning against idolatry, and he said, you know what, I'm going to take a little step here. I'm going to be the one that buries Moses, and no one's going to know where he is because you're not going to make a shrine out of his grave because people focus on the man of God instead of the God of the man. And that's exactly what would have happened with Moses. There had been a big old shrine built to him. And so God had been warning against idolatry. And then we see this example in Deuteronomy about God saying, you know what, there will be no idols before me, not even my great men of faith. Don't look at a pastor like me or anybody else and put him on a pedestal. We are called to do what we do, but we're human beings and we'll fail. And when we make an idol out of anyone, we're just setting ourselves up for disaster. And God did that in his kindness, in his goodness, buried Moses where nobody would know. So there's no shrine to Moses anywhere, only to God. What a beautiful picture. I mean, I just, it's just amazing to see what God did. And what we see here is that in the center section of Deuteronomy, we see this principle is that Possession of the promised land was unconditional. Okay, It means that when they became people of, of, of God, Israel, then God promised them the promised land. And that was unconditional. It was based on what God promised them, just like you and I. right? When we, by God's grace, alone through faith, alone in Christ, alone receive that gift of salvation, then we are adopted into the family of God and all the promises that God has made about Uh, what we would say promised land, all the promises of heaven and blessings and things like that are ours automatically, okay? We're in the family. And so what happens is is that possession of the promised land was unconditional. It came with them being part of the family. But enjoyment of it was conditional. Enjoyment of it was conditional. What I mean by that is this. God was saying in the center section that there are consequences that will follow your decisions. In other words, New Testament terminology, that center section there, sowing and reaping. That's what he was talking about. He's just taking a New Testament principle. If you do this, then this is what will happen. And if you do this, this is what will happen. Sow this, reap this. Sow this, reap this. So God has this big section in Deuteronomy where Moses is just kind of laying it out. Listen, if you obey me, what will happen is you'll receive spiritual blessings and temporal blessings. Now remember, he's not talking about salvation or God's favor. He's saying sowing and reaping. You're my children. 
You're my children, and I love you. But if you make decisions that you walk in obedience to me, then you're going to be blessed on this earth and eternally. But if you choose to walk in disobedience, then the reaping that you get, is the terminology that they use in Deuteronomy is a hard word, but it's the word they use, so I'm going to use it. And if you disobey, these curses will come upon you. Life is going to be hard. Take a look at God's word again. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6.16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you. Not that you will be my children, not that it will go well. There's blessings for walking in obedience. And then it goes on in Deuteronomy 28.1. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I commanded you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. You'll be blessed. Then in verse 15, but if you do not, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you, Today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. He said, sowing and reaping. Now, that does not mean that we're perfect and we're sinless. Because we're not. We struggle with sin. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 7? The thing I want to do, I don't do. I want to obey God, but I don't. And the thing I don't want to do, disobey God, I keep doing. Who can help me? I'm in this terrible place. And then it says right after that, but there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are still God's children. But there's sowing and reaping for us just like there is somebody who's lost and doesn't know Jesus. Sowing and reaping happens. There are consequences to the decisions, the choices that we make. And then he goes on in the center section and talks about some of those things. Obedience leads to life. And is literally meaning life. And I thought, you know what? How, could, you know, how does that look? And sometimes in order to understand one side, you have to look at the other side. In other words, this. So if obedience leads to life, then disobedience leads to death? And I thought, you know, that's true sometimes, isn't it? Because people make a choice to sin. Say, I, I'm just going to use this as, I'm going to go out and I'm going to just get drunk tonight. And sure enough, what happens? You die in a car accident. Literally, life and death there. There's choices that we make that will lead to either life or death. And if we choose uh, to walk in obedience to God, that doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to you, okay? Because sometimes we think, well, if I make all the right decisions, then all uh, good things will happen to me. And maybe the reason these bad things are happening to me is because I'm walking in disobedience. Well, you can ask the Lord that. If you are, then repent and, and walk in obedience. But sometimes God just puts us through hard times. And there's a whole book on that called Job. Job was considered a righteous man, right? And he had some pretty tough things happen to him. All right, why? Because God was working something in him. But Job wasn't, it wasn't a sowing and a reaping necessarily in that situation. But what God's talking about in Deuteronomy is sowing and reaping. You walk into disobedience to me, there's going to be consequences to that. Because I love you. Again, go back to God's word. He disciplines those he loves. So part of those things that are coming to us are disciplining by God to say, hey, this isn't good for you. This isn't healthy for you. Again, we're not talking about perfection. We're just saying, hey, you know what? God says sowing and reaping is real for all of us. That's the way it works. Obedience it leads to a life of holiness. We become more like Jesus, right? 
as we walk in obedience to God. As we walk in obedience, we will grow in wisdom. We will grow in nearness to God. See, we have to understand that that obedience is, it, it does not disqualify us from our relationship with God if we're disobedient. I think of my children. My children are my children. They're my guys, right? I love them. But if they know that if they do something that is disobedient, especially when, when I'm thinking when they were little children, didn't change my relationship th- with them, did it? No. Didn't even change my love with them. No. But there was an effect on the nearness I had with that child. I don't know if that happens to you or not. And it's just like Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God. God said, where are you? God knew where they were. Well, we were naked, so we hid. Who told you you were naked? So whether you're, usually it's the, the, the child that distanced themselves from the father because they don't feel whatever. They feel I've disobeyed and I've dishonored them. And so what happens is, is that when we are walking in obedience to God, that nearness, that sweetness to the Lord is there. That intimacy is there because we're walking in holiness. And so that's another blessing of the fruit of walking in obedience, that our communion with God is just, it seems sweeter, it seems closer, it seems nearer. And that's part of the blessing of walking in obedience to God. And the opposite is true. When we walk in disobedience, then what happens is there's a distance. It's just natural. That's the way we're wired. And we're usually the ones running away from God. That's, at least it's, that's been the, the fact in my life. And if we walk in obedience, there are also eternal heavenly rewards. And what that all is, I don't get, but we'll find out when we get there, right? It'll be wonderful. But I want you to know this, brothers and sisters, God gives you all you need to walk in obedience to him. All you need. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then this means that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And because of God's grace and his power that indwells you, his very spirit, you can walk in obedience to God. It doesn't mean you'll walk perfectly in obedience because we're still stuck in this body, in, 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 in this body of the flesh. But we have the ability to walk in obedience to God. That's why when somebody says to me, well, I can't help it, I just, you know, no, you can't help it. Stop using your sin as an excuse. The spirit of God dwells within you. Yes, you can walk in obedience to God. Or you're, or, or it's an uh, or you're making a comment about the power of God's Spirit who dwells within you. Well, I can't help it. Well, I, I get you can't help it in your own strength, but the Spirit of God dwells within you, and He can empower you to walk in obedience. He can bring you to a place of repentance when we stumble and when we fall. But we can. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So we can walk in holiness. We can turn away from temptation. We won't always because of our flesh. But we can. So don't let the enemy whisper in your ears. You can, nothing you can do about it. This is going to be sin for the rest of your life. What you're saying is, you know what? God can't change me. And I don't. I, everywhere where I read in the Word of God, that's not true. God can change us. And He does change us. And He loves us enough to change us. He saved us not to stay in our sin, but to leave it. And that's the grace and the glory of God. Amen? We're new creations by God's grace and God's mercy. He gave us all we need to obey Him. So why would you want to obey Him? Why? If it's, it's not to earn His favor, because you already have it, 
And it's not to be made right with him because you're already made right with him if you're a Christian. So why would you walk in obedience to him? Why would you want to do that? It's real simple. Moses talks us. He says, it's because you love God. That's why. You want to walk in obedience to God because you love God. And you want to do what honors him and blesses him. It's, it's like, and I used this example in the first service, it's kind of like this. If I like to chew tobacco and I'm with my wife and my wife says this to me, she says, you know, babe, I love you, you know I love you, but I just, that chewing tobacco is a gross thing. And I would really appreciate if you just not chew tobacco. Okay? So now I have a choice to make. Do I want to chew tobacco or not chew tobacco? If I choose not to chew tobacco, why? Because I love my wife, and it's, I, don't want, I don't want her to be, to say, that's nasty. I don't want to hurt her. I want to, make, I want to do what honors her, what blesses her. Why? Because I love her. And if I love God, I walk in obedience, not because I have to or to try to earn his favor or blessings, but rather because I love him. And so my motivation for walking in obedience is not duty, but delight, love for God. So that's what we see here, that love for God is the motivation or the goal of obeying God's commands. And that's exactly what Moses says. Take a look. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, and then verse 8, 8 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And Mark chapter 12, 29 through 31, Jesus quoting this exact same verse, Deuteronomy. Jesus answered, the most important is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And then in Proverbs 6, 20 through 23, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. What we see here is that he's talking about love. But I had an interesting conversation with a young man this week. The question was this, what is love? What is love? Is it an emotion? Because if love is an emotion only, then love comes and goes. But what we concluded is that love is a choice. And that's consistent with what this is saying. Because this is a command that we are to love the Lord your God with all your... That's a command. So in other words, it's a choice. Now, emotion is tied into love. It has to be. Because if you're going to be married to someone in particular, there better be some emotion tied in there, okay? Because if it's just a choice, that's not a good way to start. might end differently, but it's certainly not a good way to start. Okay? So emotion is there, but emotion, or, but love is primarily a choice. I am going to choose to love this person. I'm going to put them ahead of myself. I'm going to sacrificially love them. So love includes emotions, but it's primarily a choice. And he's saying this, love the Lord your God with all your heart. What does that mean? 
He says, you know what? Love God. Be loyal to him in what you think, in what you feel, in the decisions you make, and the choices you make. God is primary. God is primary. He's saying, God is going to be a part of everything in your life with all your heart. Then he goes, with all your soul. What does that mean? With all your energy, with all your being, with all your passion. You know, I'm passionate about old cars. I'm mostly kind of sort of passionate about the Packers, but not so much. But I want to be passionate towards my Lord, love him deeply, delight in him, find my joy in him, my satisfaction in him. And then he says, and with all your might, your physical being, with your possessions, with everything that you have, everything you are. He says, love your God, the Lord your God that way. It's a choice. And you see the wisdom of God in these just few verses. Because he says, you know what? Walk in obedience. And the key to obedience is your motive is to, because you love God. Okay? So then love God with your heart, your soul, and your might. And you, so that'll help you walk in obedience. Well, how, how in the world are you going to know what it looks like to love God? How do you know that? Since loving God involves obeying his commands, okay, right? Since loving God involves obeying his commands, then you need to know what God commanded, right? So that means this. You need to know God's word. That's it. See how he did that here? See God's wisdom in Deuteronomy? He says, love me with all your house. And then he goes, and tie my word, bind my word. How? Why? Because we can't know how to love him unless we know his word. Because his word displays God's holiness, who God is, what he's like, who Jesus is, what he's like, how we can become like him. What does it look like to be like Jesus? And he says, this is my holiness. That's why the center section is about God's holiness and how we can walk in, in, um, in obedience to God. So in order to love God, we must obey his commands. And in order to know his commands, we must know his word. So what do we got to do? Well, we got to bind his word as a sign on our hands. He's talking about God's word there. That's why I love Proverbs here. You know, keep in mind all these things. What does talk about other places in Proverbs? You know, God's word, God's word. We need to know God's word to walk in obedience to God. He's talking here about binding the word of God on our hand. What does that mean? It means we're going to act according to what honors God. We read in God's Word, some things are very cut and dry. And I just shared this the first service. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says only marry believers. So if there's someone you're with that's not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we say, well, God's Word says. And so that's the determining factor of how I'm going to act. So I can't marry them. I might have to break this off. That's a hard thing to hear, but are you going to bind God's Word to your actions, your hands, in such a manner that it'll help you walk in obedience to God's to God because of love. Then the next one is he says, and bind it to the the frontlets between your eyes, okay, on your forehead. And I, I think of the, the hardcore Jewish people that got the box taped, you know, that tied to their heads and on their hands, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? And I'm thinking, I wonder what's inside there. It must be like a, a Chinese fortune cookie, something written in there and they put it in a little box. I don't know how that all works, right? But that's, see, they take this verse and they take it literally. 
And they say, you got to bind it on your hand, and you got to bind it around your head, and you got to have a doorpost. That's not, these are metaphors. And he's saying, you, the Word of God should direct your actions. The Word of God should direct your thinking. If we're going to do a New Testament principle, it would be this. Take all your thoughts captive under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about here. How do we know what God wants? Well, we got to know his word. So we know God's word. So when something comes to me and I'm thinking, well, should I do this or should I not? Then I take those thoughts captive under the Lord Jesus Christ and I, I look at that. And it's, what do I determine whether I should do it or not? Well, what does God's word say? I better know God's word. And so I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, should I say this or should I not? Should I do this? Well, God's word says this and it helps me discern. That's what he's talking about, binding the word of God onto our foreheads, our thoughts, that we know what God's word says, so we determine our choices, how we're going to act, even in the process of thinking. How Do I want to continue down this thought, thought road? We say, no, I don't want to do that. That doesn't honor God. That's what he's talking about here. Even our thoughts would be honoring to God. We take them captive. He goes on and he says, the doorpost. In other words, the highest priority in your home should be the word of God. And then he says to the gate, which is the community. That's the picture that we have here. That's the picture. And I love this because I skipped a verse in between. And I did it intentionally. Because what is Moses doing here in this whole book? He's teaching a new generation about God so that they're prepared to live for him. And that's exactly what the center verse is that I skipped in there. It's essential that we teach the children, this new generation, God's word and his actions in history. And I want to say this before we turn to these verses. I want to thank every one of my Sunday school teachers. And I want to thank Sam, my son as well, because we're doing what, you're doing what God says to do in this next verse. To teach the new generation the word of God. Teach them God's ways. Take a look at God's word. Deuteronomy 6, 7. Right in between. And I skipped that intentionally. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Just a part of who you are is what he's saying. Your faith is who you are. It just It permeates you. It seeps out. Your faith is your faith. And they see it. And James 1.22, be, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Don't just talk about Jesus at the family devotional time every night. You just be Jesus. You love Jesus. And then as you go on in your life, just it's natural to talk about Jesus no matter what's going on. You know, your little kid slips and falls and wrecks their knee. They come up to you. First thing, hey, let's pray. Jesus. It's just natural. It's just you're walking, you're, you're hanging out, and you, you just give God praise. Man, look at that, Sky. Look at how God did that. I was talking to someone this week, and I said, do you realize that all art pretty much in today's world is just copying what God has done? We paint flowers. God came up with that out of nothing. Are you kidding me? He's the greatest artist ever. And to, pro, and to, as we carry on in our life, as we walk with our life, as it's just a natural thing, our faith comes out to our children. And this is not a call just to parents. This is a call to all of us. 
as a community in Christ, that we raise up our kids. I'll tell you what I do. This is one of my hearts every Sunday morning. I pray that in 20 years from now, children who go to this church would say this. They'd say, I remember, man, I went to this one church. I loved going there. You know, that pastor always used to talk to me, bow to, you know, bend down and, and play with me and stuff. I'll never forget that. Why? Because I'm Jesus to a lot of people. I'm the guy up front preaching and telling about Jesus. And I want that to be natural. I want people to say, I love going there. I see people cared. That's what it's about. It's just like everything we do, everything we say, it's just natural. And we teach through that how we react when they fail, how we delight in the little things. You see, that's what he's talking about. It's not just a family devotional time for 10 minutes at the end of the evening. It's just living Jesus. And it's just he just comes out, opportunities, wherever they're at, you tell them, and you rejoice in God. That's what he's talking about. That type of a teaching our children. Teach diligently here means like engraving in granite. You gotta be patient, you gotta be consistent, you gotta persevere. And God's word overflows from our hearts into our children. It's just natural. It's like when I'm getting up and when I'm walking and I'm going to the store and I'm going to the basketball game or I smack my thumb with the hammer or I, you know, it's just natural. And when we fail, we fail and we admit it. Make the most of those teachable moments and be more than just a speaker of the word. Be a doer of God's word. And I want to conclude this message with the same choice that Moses gave all of Israel. It's in Deuteronomy 30, 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. Amen? God's past faithfulness and his future promises should produce in you a joyful, persevering obedience today because we love him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we stand in awe of your word, your holy word, your precious word, and we ask that you would, first of all, help us to, to truly delight in your word, God, to know it, to delight in it, to love you, God, to make those choices to love you, and God, to walk in your ways by your power, by your grace, Lord, and we ask that you would do this so that your name would be exalted in our lives and through our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.